Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Today we're kind of taking a step back in time, if you will. You, you see, for the last two and a half years, we have been following the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. Well, by our timing, Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time back in September. And what we have done in the months since is focused in on the most incredible week in the history of the world. This Holy Week ended with the crucifixion, the execution of Jesus, and now he's been placed in a tomb. We know what's coming next week. It's Easter Sunday. Jesus is raised from the dead, alive, meeting with his disciples and other followers. Well, we're almost there. We're ready to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And some of you would say, we're ready to end the Gospel of Luke. We're almost there. But today is Palm Sunday. So let's take a step back and look at the beginning of this most incredible week, but this time from Matthew's perspective. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives, Jesus said, sent to his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, and then he Matthew quotes Zechariah 9.9, Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. What a day. You couldn't believe it. It was like a carnival, a parade, a circus, if you will. Hundreds of thousands of people crowded in the holiest of cities. Hundreds of thousands of bodies lined up on narrow, dusty streets, shoulder to shoulder, body to body. You couldn't even hardly move through the crowd. It was Passover time. There were three main holidays annually for which every able-bodied male Jew would have to go to Jerusalem. Passover was one of those three and was by far the largest. Into those city streets, dusty. You could hear the animals all around, pilgrims chanting their prayers, Roman chariots, back and forth. What a madhouse. What a mess. 
But it was a great week for business and a lot of money to be made in Jerusalem. Now, the reputation of Jesus had already spread. You see, he had just recently performed the greatest miracle he had ever done in raising Lazarus from the dead. And Matthew reveals that just before Jesus enters Jerusalem, there are two other healings, this two men given sight. And the crowd is waiting to see more. More miracles. That was one of the groups in the crowd that day. They wanted to see more miracles. They wanted to see uh, another deaf person be able to hear. They wanted to see another blind person be given sight. They wanted to see another who was covered with leprosy have their skin made pure. If they saw a miracle, let me tell you, if they saw a man actually raised from the dead, then they would believe if they actually saw a blind man be given sight, by all means, they'll be true believers. If the Houdini of the Holy Land could pull out another trick in his bag, they would believe. That's part of what was happening on that first Palm Sunday. There was that group of people there to see the miracle worker in action. Like it was the big top, and here's the center ring there was that one group present on that Palm Sunday. And these people said, Lord, if you give me a miracle, then I'll believe. Have you ever done that? Lord, if you make this bad thing go away. Lord, if you'll restore me in my brokenness. Lord, if you'll, heal, if you'll heal this relationship, Lord, if you'll miraculously turn my failing grade into a B, then boy, you are something special. Then there was a second group of people that day. The second group wasn't looking for a religious carnival. They weren't looking for one more magic trick. These people were more serious. They were looking for a political revolution. It was like a mass political rally with intense fanaticism. A mob on the streets, a mob everywhere because the great political leader can be returning to save his nation at any moment. That also was the way it was on that first Palm Sunday. Looking for a mass political revolution so that you understand a little bit about what might be taking place. Let me step back a little bit further in time. This, revelation, this revolution had started years before. In the year 63 B.C., Pompey was the Roman general who conquered Israel. And so now God's people were once again enslaved to a foreign entity after 300 years of freedom. They wanted to get rid of the Romans. And the Jews hated the Romans for many reasons. At the time, the Romans tried to get the Jewish people, God's people, to eat pork, which a Jew would never do. They tried to get God's people to worship Caesar as Lord, which the Jews would never do. They were trying to not allow them 
to do circumcision. They were trying everything they could to seduce them away from their faith, from their God. The Jews hated the Romans, and there was a revolution going on. In fact, in the early years of the first century, Zadok, a Pharisee, had led a revolution, and he and 2,000 of his followers were killed. The Romans hanged them on crosses. Can you imagine a 20-mile stretch of roadway in, in which every block is about 10 men hanging on crosses so all the world could see? You think that might be a little bit of a deterrent? What the Romans said, this is what's going to happen to anybody in the Jewish population who thinks they want to be a political revolutionary. And then on this Passover celebration... When Jesus came riding into town, there had already been some 32 riots in five years. Imagine 32 riots in Charlotte in a time span of five years. And according to the Bible story for today, it said that the crowd was stirred. In other words, potential pandemonium, chaos. A town in which so many, several hundreds of thousands were gathered. It was ready to ignite at any moment. And there were those two groups there on that first Palm Sunday. There were the religious fanatics who said, Jesus, give me a miracle and I'll be your follower. Then there were those political fanatics who said, restore our freedom, get rid of the Romans. And what was Jesus doing? What was Jesus doing with this mass of humanity around him? What was he doing in the midst of this madness? Was he standing up in the back of a chariot waving to his onlookers as a person of, of stature would do? Was, was he waving to those in the second story windows who were throwing confetti on him? Was Jesus pumping them up with political rhetoric to get a revolution going. No. None of those things. In the midst of this craziness, Jesus, according to Matthew, doesn't say a word. And what was he riding? A donkey. The crowd wanted him to ride on a tall white horse dignified in the sunlight or on a chariot of war glistening with its golden spinning rims and LED lights. But Jesus didn't choose that route. In fact, the animal he asked for was not an animal of war. It was an animal of peace. The crowd wanted him to grab a sword and Wave it around in the air as if to say, Romans, this is what we're going to do to you. And then there was a third group in the crowd that day. It was Jesus' disciples and a group of followers. They were obedient. According to verse 6, they did as Jesus instructed them to do. They got the donkey for him. And they and others started praising Jesus loudly. And in their 
praises, they were referring to him as Lord and acknowledged him to be a king. The crowd wanted impassioned speeches to inspire a revolution. They wanted streets filled with soldiers. Well, they wanted another miracle. And so they started chanting to the top of their lungs, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to the king of the Jews. But slowly, gradually, those Hosannas began to get quieter and quieter. Even the disciples couldn't maintain the, that, that level of excitement and, and fervor and boldness to where we know by midweek those chants changed. And now it was beginning to be crucify him. A little bit louder, a little bit louder, a little bit louder, until finally the powerful crucify him. Crucify this man. He's an imposter, a fake. He's certainly not a king. They had wanted a warrior on a war horse. Instead, they got a carpenter on a donkey. And so they killed him, and they put a, a sign over him with a poster, basically, on, on it that says, King of the Jews. Big joke. That's the way it was that first Palm Sunday leading into Holy Week. And it's interesting to me that the Gospels record only a couple of times where the crowds tried to force Jesus to be king. One of those was after he fed the 5,000. 5,000 men, so that meant add women and children, who knows how many, with five loaves of bread and two fish. So when Jesus could provide that much food freely, the people wanted to make him king. Free food, all you can eat, yeah, let's make that guy king. But the Bible says Jesus realized what they were trying to do, and he walked away from them. The second time the crowd wanted to force Jesus to be king was on Palm Sunday. He had worked a big miracle in raising Lazarus from the dead. If Jesus had that kind of power, then surely let's make him king. So once again, the crowds tried to force him into their mold of what they wanted. But he refused. Jesus disappointed them. So eventually the crowds brought Jesus before Pilate. Putting together the four gospel accounts, we get Pilate questioning Jesus. You are Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, are you not? Jesus replied, you have said so. Pilate persists. Are you the king of the Jews? Out with it. Are you or are you not the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not like yours, Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate asked the crucial question, well then, Jesus, what kind of king are you? And that's our question today. What kind of king is this Jesus of Nazareth? Tell me, did Jesus live in a palace? Did he have a beautiful golden throne on which to sit like all the other kings of the earth? Did he have a crown made out of diamonds inlaid with gold? 
was he wearing robes and have a, a queen sitting next to him? Did he have thousands of uh, valets who would attend to his every need as well as armies at his ready? No. His kingship was not of this world. He had already told us. So let me ask you, what kind of king is he? It may be kind of hard to recognize this king because he doesn't act like a king. He doesn't look like a king. He doesn't behave like a king. I mean, for example, can you imagine a king doing the following? Could, could you imagine a king getting down on his knees and washing his servants' feet? Compassionately washing their feet. Can you imagine a king who does this? What kind of a king is this who dresses up like a carpenter? Well, not just dresses up like a carpenter, but actually was a carpenter. Who for the first 30 years of his life, as best we can tell, built benches and chairs all day long. Have you ever heard of a king doing such common, plain, ordinary labor as this? Or what kind of king is it who goes out to get his subjects to love him? Who goes like a disrespected father and waits by the fence for his son to come home? Or what kind of king is it who will go out like a shepherd looking for the sheep who have strayed? What kind of king is it that we can address him so personally? And then to top it all off, this king does the ultimate. What kind of king is this? When I have committed a crime, and I'm about to be executed for my crime, this king steps in to my place and is executed on my behalf. Have you ever heard of such a king? Who would die in my place? That's absurd. That's absolutely crazy. It doesn't make sense. What kind of king is it who wants to rule our hearts? Not from outside, but from within. What kind of king is it who doesn't want just outward compliance, but wants inner? What kind of king is it who isn't... All about duty, but a willingness to do things for the Father. What kind of king is it who wants to rule our lifestyles, our habits, our homes, our families, our marriages, our jobs, our friendships, our time? This king wants to rule everything about us, not by using religious tricks, not by political power. You see, there was that group of people that day who wanted the Houdini of the Holy Land. Hey, Jesus, give me a sign and I'll believe you make this miracle happen and I'm yours. Jesus didn't do that. And then there was that second group that wanted Jesus to start that political revolution. Jesus didn't do that either. Instead, this king ruled from a cross. That was his throne. And Jesus ruled out of love, suffering, humility, 
That's the kind of king that he is. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.